For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is good, Night Nation? UCF now looking forward to their final regular season game here of 2020. It is the war on I-4 this Friday against USF and the Bulls. As what's good, Night Nation? Welcome in here to another edition of Fights and One Podcast. It is a rivalry week. And a guy knows uh, quite a few things about rivalries during his day playing at the collegiate level, the NFL level, that being Leger Doosable, former Knights standout. Scott Adams here with you. And before we take a look there at those USF Bulls, man, Deuce, tough, hard-fought loss against one of the best teams in all of college football this past weekend from Orlando. Knights come on the other end of the ledger, 36 to 33, a game in which UCF leading going into that fourth quarter. But there's a reason why Cincinnati is undefeated this season. Yeah, definitely. If you would have told me before the game, Scott, that Desmond Ritter was going to have less than 60 yards rushing, Jared Dokes would have over 28 carries but only averaged 3.5 yards a carry, I would tell you that UCF blew Cincinnati out, right? Because uh, the tail of the tape going into that game, that was what you know UCF defense needed to do: stop the run and don't allow Desmond Ritter to run. And he really wasn't effective running the ball until about the fourth quarter. So if you look at just that stat, you would be like, well, yeah, we definitely gonna gonna blow them out. But then if you look at the game as a whole, right? What he did well was he took what the defense gave him, right? The underneath passing, and we already said he was gonna struggle throwing the ball down the field. I believe he probably had. Really one big completion down the field. The other ones were a lot of run and catch afterwards, a lot of yak yards. But the, I think the throw to Johnson there where, the, where there was a blown coverage, if he actually puts that on the money, it's probably a touchdown for them right there um, where we had the blown coverage. And then also um, the tight ends, if you would have told me that both tight ends would accumulate over 150 yards receiving, I would have said you're lying because we hadn't seen it all year long. But they, you know, got kudos to them and their coaching staff. They took what the defense gave them. They knew a lot of bootlegs were going to work on our team that is aggressive, that that likes to blitz, and our D-line likes to create havoc. So they got Desmond Ritter on the run, and he had a lot of run-pass options with the bootleg. And, and, and Wiley really, you know, had a great day because of that. And then they also caught him on a couple drag routes where he was in one-on-one coverage with some linebackers, which is a mismatch, you know, for, for, for us. While linebackers on their their you know athletic tight ends, so Desmond Ritter did all this stuff well that they asked him to do, and um for him to throw over 338 yards, I mean it's crazy because it didn't seem like he was really throwing the ball down the field, but like give what the defense is taking you, and if you know people are left open, I mean you 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 still have to you know make that throw to to hit the open receiver, so I give him kudos for that. 
Um, like I said, he struggled every time he had to throw the ball down the field or anything over 10 yards, but he never had to during the game. And uh, that's why Cincinnati is good because they do all the little things well and they do what's tailored for him in the offense. They do that at a high level. Season high, tossing the football for Desmond Ritter, 338 on the Cincinnati improves to 8-0 and on the season. Coming up here on this edition of Two Nights in One Podcast, we'll give a deeper dive to a week ago from the Bounce House, the final home game of 2020, at least we think. We'll take a look at what will be a short week, and it's rivalry week, USF and UCF. It'll happen over there from Raymond James Stadium. It'll be the fourth nationally televised game here of the season for UCF. And we'll take a quick peek at what maybe the future brings for the Knights here following Friday's game against USF. But before we get that, let's go ahead and hear from this week's sponsor. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Two nights, one podcast. Scott Adams here along with Leger Doosable and Doos. Let's get back into Cincinnati UCF talking. And this was a game in which, again, UCF for the second consecutive game in a row, they would strike first and they would get the lead 14 to 3 over Cincinnati. But then again, for the second consecutive week in a row, quarter number two was a a bit of, of a dilemma here for UCF. Yeah, definitely. And and me and you were on the sideline, I kept saying um, when it was 14-3 and we kept having opportunities to, to really extend the lead and kind of bust the game open, I was like, Scott, we really need to score again because this league is not safe. We saw it earlier in the year versus Tulsa and then games versus Memphis when we were out there in Memphis that teams have been able to come back if we let them hang around. And this was a team that I was like, if we go up big on them, and I said 14-point league, we never really got that. We never got to stretch it out to 14 points. I felt like this team was going to struggle trying to come from behind. They'd be behind the eight ball. This is a team that likes to play with the lead. They like to run the ball. They like to use their quarterback in the run game. But they were never stressed out. They, the game was never really out of reach for them because at 14-3, their defense really showed up and showed why it's one of the best in the nation. And, again, adversely, I said on offense, if, you know, if before the game you said that Desmond Ritter was only going to have less than 60 yards rushing and Jared Dokes would only average 3.5 yards a carry. Well, on defense, if you told me that Maje Sanders would be would be zero in the stat sheet and Jarrell White would have only three tackles in the game, adversely, I would have said we would definitely blew them out on offense too. But other guys on that defense stepped up, and it's something that we said about their defense. They go too deep, and most of those those players are you know seniors or juniors. So, I mean, kudos for them for, for, for when the stars didn't show up their other players stepped up and stepped up big. Yeah, dudes, I thought there in that that first half after that 14-3 to lead in which UCF was able to get those two offensive scores within their first three series, I thought Luke Fickle there and the rest of his, his defensive staff really did a good job at adjusting to the to the UCF offense. And, and one of the things that we've seen here over the past several years is those plays on offense. That Cincinnati defense, they had – 
guys that are seniors of their 11. They've got guys that are going to the National Football League all over that that defensive side of the ball. And, and dudes, there was not a time here in that football game in which UCF was able to stretch the field there as we've, we've been able to see here in 2020. Yeah, a lot of the home run plays. And I mean, you kind of joked about this. Uh, Dana Hogerson, when they played Houston earlier in the year, kind of said throwing the ball like down the field is just a waste of time. You might as well just punt it because a lot of these guys don't give up passes, you know, over their head. Now, we saw Jacob Harris have a big catch down the field, and we also caught Amal Garner in the past interference call when he was in one-on-one coverage. So I would have liked for us to test it a little bit more often down the field, but I really like what Hype did coming out in the third quarter. He really got the ball out of Dylan Gabriel's hand. That way, you know, they were some of their, their corners were kind of playing off coverage. We were hitting them for seven, eight yards here, and we matriculated the ball down the field and kind of scored with ease in that third quarter. And I kind of would have liked for him to come back out that next drive and do the same exact thing. Yes, you know, I wanted to establish a run game, but if that's open, you can, if this is what the defense is giving you, you have to take that. And um, like I said, kudos to them. There's a lot of players that will be playing on Sundays coming up next season. And then even after that, there'll be more more and more players playing on Sunday, probably a year or two after that. Yeah, he's such a, a well-disciplined football team. But I also thought offensively that this unit has come a long way three years when Desmond Ritter first came into the bounce house there on national TV. It was college game day in, in Orlando and he was a wide eyed freshman. That was quite the atmosphere that day and credit to this guy. He is, he is done and taken what, what the defense has given him the RPO game this past week for, for Desmond Ritter, because dudes, they ran what looked to be the same several plays over and over again, yet just a change of of whether I'm running it, handing it off, or I'm going to do that rollout and hit the tight end. Definitely, and we've talked about this all year long, Scott. It comes down to adjustments, right? They made the adjustments, I believe, in that second and third quarter where, like, we have a mismatch with our tight ends because all year long we talked about it. I don't believe Wiley – I think Wiley might have equaled his – his catches that game for what he had in total all year. I believe he only had eight catches coming into that game. And I had, I believe he had six on Saturday and, and Tully, their other tight end combined for 150 yards. I don't believe any receiver had more than two receptions. We talked about Michael Young during the game. He had one catch, had one in the round for a tackle for loss. Alec Pierce, we didn't even know that he was going to, you know, play in the game. I think me and you were both surprised on the sideline when we saw him because he kind of got an injury that looked like it might've been a season long injury earlier in the year. But he came back and he gave them a little boost. He had two catches, I believe, for over like 45 or 50 yards. And that second catch, you know, you know, our defenders thought he was going out of bounds. He able to stay in bounds and, and end up getting an explosive run after the catch there for about a 30-yard reception. So if you were, like I said, if you were to tell me that no no receiver would have over two catches, and then Desmond Ritter, I, like I said, would run only for 60 yards, I was I would be like, then we blew them out by 21 or more. But you know you have to give kudos to the kid. They did, they, they get, they did what the defense gave them, and also he did everything at a high level. They weren't asking him to do much. Simple rollout, things he's real comfortable with. And, and, and you have to give kudos to Luke Fickle and his his coaching staff because a lot of times coaches will get in their own head and start running other plays. But you have to run what your quarterback is comfortable with and what he he really really enjoys doing. And the RPO game is definitely something that Desmond Ritter is comfortable doing. Yeah, dudes. How about that? third quarter drive of eight and a half minutes that that kept UCF off the field 
there in that second half, he didn't get the amount of series that UCF will typically get offensively. And that eight and a half drive, that was the longest of the season. We saw in that first half where UCF was able to capitalize on the turnover on the muff punt, but there wasn't any other sort of offense defensive uh, uh, turnovers up until that fourth quarter in which the streak finally came for for Dylan Gabriel when that that fourth quarter interception Cincinnati was able to capitalize after it hit off Marlon Williams. Again, you go back to turnovers, one thing to get them, it's another to then capitalize on them, and, and Cincinnati was able to do that, and they retook the lead in that fourth quarter, and they never relinquished it. Yeah, and this sounds like beating a dead horse, but if you were to also to tell me that they the three red zone trips that they, they got into the red zone, if we held them – to, to two field or three field goals and then one a, a turnover on downs, I would be like, well, we definitely won the game because that's what they had, you know, dominated all year long. They had one in the red zone on defense and on offense, but our defense did a real good job once they let them get into the red zone by holding them to field goal attempts. And the kicker did a good job of making all three of those field goals. And then the, you know, the play at the end where they technically could have scored, but didn't, but that was a turnover and downs. But if you look at the game as a whole, Yes, I, we kind of said this in the beginning of, of our broadcast that whoever won the turnover battle w- was going to win the game. Now, we technically tied the turnover battle because they had one pick and we had one muff punt, but they caused a turnover on defense. We got the, we got the turnover on special teams, and we both scored, so it's a wash. So technically, nobody won that deal. So whoever won that usually was going to come out on top. But then again, if you look at it, they kind of did win it because in the red zone on fourth down, Marlon has that drop pass we could potentially get three or score right there. We're looking at overtime or maybe even winning the game. So to me, those those are just as good as turnovers. When you get a turnover on downs and you stop a team from scoring, it's specifically in the red zone, and then you go adversely go down and score. That's like a 10-point swing in a game. Dude, I think you said something pretty poignant during the broadcast on Saturday, and it's not just Coach O'Leary that would probably tell you this, but there is that collection of maybe four plays during the course of the game because I'm not one that subscribes to one play is going to determine your fate and whether or not you win or lose a football game there there are too many plays during the course of 60 minutes of, of football that can help turn the trajectory of the game but I do think that that five plays especially when you're going up against a team that doesn't make a ton of mistakes which again yeah. this goes back to them being extremely well coached they're they're well-disciplined. They play within themselves. Their defense does a very good job of keeping everything in front of them. They tackle well. And I think when you're playing the seventh-ranked team in the nation, that that one one play to the next, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge it's a huge point. Yeah, 100%. There's always a – like Coach O'Leary used to say, there's five plays that determine the game. And, like, a couple of them would definitely be the, the, the interception that we had, you know, driving the ball – the, the drop, you know, the drop pass on fourth and five right there. We get the first down. We keep the chains moving to potentially score a touchdown or, or kick a field goal right there. So those two plays right there were definitely pivotal. You could, And then you could count, you know, the amount of times Desmond Ritter in that fourth quarter was able to get out, you know, out of the pocket and to make some 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 leeway with his legs. So um, that's something that he kind of did last year up there at Nipper Stadium. I believe we kind of like shut him down the first three quarters running the ball. But then in the fourth quarter, he really, you know, when the game's on the line, you already know you're going to turn to what your strength is. And what, and what his strength is, is using his legs to create plays. And that's exactly what he did in that fourth quarter to help Cincinnati, you know, secure that victory. 
Yeah, and they are now 8-0 and on the season, 7th now in the country. That looks like that may continue to rise. If they continue to win, they get Temple this week. They'll close things out against Tulsa, which is looking as if that is going back to, 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 to be quite <laughs> – quite the game in the American to end the season because if both teams here go into that game without any other, you know, without, without a defeat, they look as if they're going to play each other that week. And then again, the next week in the conference tournament game or the conference championship game. Yeah. It's kind of like last year, right? With Cincinnati and Memphis, the same exact scenario. Cincinnati wins that last game. They host the conference championship at home. Well, they have a chance to redeem themselves this year. They got to go to Cincinnati as long as they beat Temple and handle business there, which I think even if they, I think no matter what, I think Cincinnati is in the conference championship because they own tiebreakers over Memphis, SMU, um, and everybody else. So I think they're in regardless. And and I think, I think it would take an active for Temple to beat Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but Hey, nobody, nobody, Nobody saw that 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 ECU team that should have beat you know Tulsa almost beating them so you never All right. really That's never fair. know and USF should have should have beat Memphis so I mean you never know you got to play each game you know because Russo could come back right. They get some more, no, some more of your healthy bodies. That's you know, that's a pretty good team with Russo at quarterback and then all the three receivers that they have. If everybody's healthy, that's a team that can sling it with anybody. So I mean, that you know, Cincinnati's a totally different defense. But on offense, Temple, when everybody's healthy, is actually have a pretty good offense. I think they were they're averaging close to thirty points. So I mean, that's a team that can you know, in any given Sunday. And then also it being cold up there in, in Temple, and it's on the empty road. stadium. And it's you on know, the road. you never know. You're but right. uh. It's like I said, it's kind of like the scenario last year, if you look at it, with uh, Cincinnati and Memphis. And Cincinnati had beaten Memphis at at the end of the regular season. They would have hosted the game at home, but they lost. So they had to go back to Memphis and end up losing again. And, you know, it's hard to beat a team two times in a row. But, you know, when you beat a a team twice at home, you know, you feel more comfortable at home. So we'll see how it plays out. If both teams go undefeated, then it'll be, you know, for home home field advantage and, you know, the conference championship. If Tulsa ends up winning at home versus Cincinnati, they'll play them again the following week or two weeks after at home for for the AAC championship yeah, and potentially a New Year's Six Bowl. That's right, because Nip because Nippert Stadium they have not lost in two consecutive years. UCF on the other hand, that's right. UCF on the now five and three here these eight games four and three in the conference and it is a rivalry week here the war on i4 it'll happen over in tampa 330 on friday after you get your your turkey fixings on on Mm -hmm. thursday and dues you know before we take a look at that and just a quick side note because 2020 is different are all of these available come back next year to the, the opportunity i shall say is is the question yes but those night seniors in particular guys like like richie grant like uh in otis anderson that such great success such great fond memories and and not knowing whether or not you're gonna try your hand at the next level come come 2020 the conclusion of the season going out on a senior night there at, at at the bounce house, you know it's it's never easy. You know having defeat maybe what yeah. was your last home game? 
Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Richie, you're not allowed to come back. You go ahead, young man. You go on to the next level. You're not allowed to come back to UCF. All right. But yeah, it's it's definitely tough. Uh, I was blessed enough to, you know, play my last game at home at UTEP. Um, these guys will be playing on the road for their, you know, could be potential final college game. But uh, to, to, to walk off the field, that's got to hurt. To, to have your last game at home, you know, where you called home so long and had so many win streaks there where, you know, people feared coming coming to the bounce house to play, right? There was a, what, 20-plus game win streak at the, maybe even 30, if I'm not mistaken, um, at the bounce house. I know we had consecutive win streak of, of I think, 20, 20 what, 25-plus at the bounce house or something like mm-hmm. that. Yep. So I mean, it really, it really, I feel for those players like the Marlon Williams and 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 Richie Grant and and A Rob and and Otis if he decides to leave, like losing that last game. And I, I can, we could kind of see it as we were on the field doing the post game. A lot of those players kind of stayed after the game and just walked around the field because that's tough, man. Like knowing that's going to be your last game there and to leave, you got not only a big chance to to beat a, a top ten opponent there, but to have that memory in your memory bank for life and. Something that also they would probably post up, you know, in the memoirs in, in UCF history, you know, defeating number seven Cincinnati um, on senior day, your last day. And you were one of the leaders on this team. So, you know, that I feel for those guys. And dudes, I would say this. And of all the venues we've been to this year in terms of of atmosphere, you know, in regard to you know, the COVID 2020 and the the 25 percent occupancy in any stadium yeah. to me, that was the best ambiance that you could have asked for for a football game in terms of playing the seventh ranked team in the nation in the in the the environment that night nation albeit the 20 percent that were there that that had at least some juice running through it at points in the game that i thought were helpful at certain times yeah definitely you can feel the energy on the field um like i said anytime you play a top 10 opponent the crowd's going to be a little bit more juiced up. They kind of knew the history between us and Cincinnati and what happened last year and what happened in college game day in 2018. So, I, like, I would agree with you. I, I, of all the stadiums we went to this past year, I feel like that game had the most juice to it. I mean, Georgia Tech opening weekend was 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 pretty live, too. And, yes, their stadium's a little bit bigger than us, so they were able to have a little bit more people there. But as far as the 11,000 or almost 12,000 people we had at the bounce house on Saturday – that crowd was live and they were into it and they stayed the whole game. And, um, you know, when we cut the lead to three and had a chance to, to stop and get off the field and maybe, you know, go ahead and go in for the, the game tying field goal or win, you know, that crowd really gave the defense some energy. But then two quick first downs from Desmond Ritter kind of sucked the air out of the stadium. But um, that's something that those seniors can kind of really like think about it. It sucks that you lost that game, but just the memories of just having the fan base, even though it wasn't the bounce house there, you know, traditionally used to that they, there was a great crowd there that showed a lot of energy and, and love for UCF. Well, we hope there's a great crowd coming up on Friday. There's a lot of alumni base of both schools in, in both Tampa and Orlando, <laughs> vice versa. This one going to be happening over at the Ray J, the 12th overall meeting here in this series, UCF has taken three in a row, including last year, lacking 34-7 to from Orlando, which ultimately was the final game of the Charlie Strong era. Mm-hmm. UCF would rack up nearly 600 yards of offense, and that night defense, dudes, they held the Bulls to just 250 total yards on the day, and it was a, a, a victory that I know Night Nation was quite pleased about. 
and and being able to go back over here for Friday. This is going to be a team that has taken its lumps on numerous occasions this year. They did not play a week ago. COVID protocol was in place. There was a round of positives for the Bulls. They haven't played since November 14th when they got beat up against the Houston Cougars 56 to 21. But it has been a long season here for new head football coach Jeff Scott in his very, very youthful coaching staff. Yeah, and listening to him this week, he kind of is relayed that message that, yeah, guys, it's been a long season for us, but let's finish this thing right, right? We have a rivalry game this week, and he's really been preaching to his players, let's go out and finish this thing right. Because, you know, a week ago, they didn't have a game, and they could potentially make up some games after our game, too. But all they know for right now is this could be the last game of the year. So the thing about USF, they have a lot of young guys, so these guys are only going to get better and better as the years go on. As you, you stated it, Jeff Scott coming over from Clemson, offensive coordinator. So I definitely will have some tricks up his sleeve. And this is a game that, you know, it brings fond memories to me just because being from the Tampa area and South Florida being there, my mother went to USF. My girlfriend went to USF, so it's like a house divided in this house this week. And every week that this game is played, um, I always tell my mom, it's hate week. I can't talk to you this week, even though it's Thanksgiving <laughs> week. Um, so this is, a, this is a big game for, for UCF and USF. This is, the, you know, the war on I-4. And, um, you know, bragging rights mean a lot. And also, I believe UCF wins this game. They get to tie it up 6-6 six and six for the all-time record in football games. I mean, I think we already own the outright record in every other sport, you know, playing these guys, the overall record. But, you know, for football, this means this is a big game for us because we win this game, we can tie it up 6-6 six and six with the potential to go ahead and, and go up on them 7-6 to six next year. Well, the Citadel game, that was the lone win of the season, and that came all the way back to begin 2020, the college football season for the Bulls. They have since lost every game in the American. They did have a, a, a tight bout with the Memphis Tigers in which they lost by just one point, but the past several weeks, they, they have really taken a, a nosedive. If you could find a silver lining here for South Florida entering this game, maybe outside of just the fact that it's a rivalry game against the, the school that's 90 minutes away from you, what would you say it is, Deuce? Well, more than just, just that uh, Memphis game, the Temple game, too, those were two games they were up big and allowed those teams to come back. So if I'm Jeff Scott, I'm looking at, looking at them and showing them plays from those two games and be like, guys, we have the pieces in here to win football games. We have to learn how to finish. I would say the Tulsa game got early, but through like the first, I would say three quarters, that was a dogfight. You know, Tulsa kind of took off in the third and the fourth quarter kind of got ugly then. But in, the, in those first two quarters, that was a dogfight. I remember watching that game. I believe it was on a Thursday or Friday night. I think we both had, had called each other. Um, Zayvon Collins, again, taking over a game like he did, you know, just a week ago for them. That that kid right there, um, he definitely is defensive player of the year in my mind. And I know Cincinnati has some great players. But what he's single-handedly done for that Tulsa defense really makes no sense at all. This kid, some scouts would literally be considering him, you know, first at worst second-day pick in the NFL draft because this kid literally is taking over games for Tulsa when the offense hadn't showed up at all. And, but, and um, who who is he comparable to, to you just off off recent memory in in your mind in terms of next level sort of player? The the closeness just physique wise, I would have to say Patrick Willis. But I've never seen anybody that was 260 that could run like like he's just a natural runner and filler of the football. Like most guys that are 260s, they're outside rushers. There's like the end, Scott. But this guy plays in the middle and they keep him on the field 
on third down because he's that athletic where he can cover guys. And you saw it in the, in the game ceiling interception. You know, who gets a pick six in overtime <laughs> to win the game? This guy. That's who does. Like, this guy has been unreal this year and literally has put the team on his back when he's been banged up and hurt and didn't have to play because we already know the aspirations and, and what, what teams, NFL teams are looking at him as a guy that could probably go first or second round. So this guy is a guy that hasn't, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be out there, but he's, he's laying on the line for his team and week in and week out is helping them get victories unimaginably how, I don't know how some of these games that Tulsa wins, like, if you were a betting man, like there's no way you could bet that, you know, that what would happen with Tulsa happens every week. <laughs> yeah, the wild, the wild finish that was with Tulane, your third string quarterback comes in, he tosses a Hail Mary to to put it into overtime and then Zafin Collins, this guy just just continues to to get it done. Keys this week here in your dues. You know, this is a South Florida team that's played a couple different quarterbacks. Jordan yeah. McLeod, he's started out this season. We have seen the grad transfer Noah Johnson come in. He didn't play the last time out. That was two weeks ago uh, against Houston. They, there are flashes of, of skilled players on both sides. They've got some cornerbacks, some some guys in the secondary that, that are solid players. But yeah. as a collective unit, they have not put consistencies keys maybe here offensively for for UCF now again we've got to set the table because there might be certain personnel for the Knights that might not be playing there coming up on 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 Friday but all that being yeah. being said and put maybe to the side just overall in terms of the UCF system versus South Florida and what they've done here maybe defensively well, Scott, first and foremost, I'll go ahead and say this. And, and it's true. With, with with rival games, there are no records, right? Like, at the end of the, the day, USF can suck this year. But if they beat us, that's, like, the biggest thing for USF this year. Like, they win the trophy, the war on I-4, and all is literally forgiven. It's kind of like Michigan, Ohio State. Michigan have a sucky year. They beat Ohio State, then it doesn't matter. Everything is forgiven. Jim Harbaugh probably doesn't get fired if they beat Ohio State this year. I think if he if he doesn't beat them, he's guaranteed to get fired because of how you know Michigan has looked the last few years. But if he beats them somehow, like those boosters will be willing to forgive you, and that's that's how big rivalry games are, and that's why you love college football, right, Scott? So let's get to some of these keys. Honestly, like the last few weeks, I've been talking about establish the run, establish the run, but it really is big. This I would love to see like Otis Anderson and Greg McCray if this is their last game for them to feast. Both go over like a hundred yards. Rushing kind of like they did in the Houston game. But ever since that game, we really haven't seen this running game take effect like it has since those three that three week stretch with the with the Memphis game, the Tulane game, and Houston game. So let's get our running backs going. This is the veteran set running back room. Let's send them out the right way. Let's see if we can really run the ball effectively. And because it really does help our offense. We saw it last week. We struggled running the ball and kind of hurt us with our with our passing game. When we were able to run the ball, they have to commit so many people in the box to the run game that you get those one-on-ones on the outside and you can be effective. So let's establish the run game too. And then also, literally, just just on offense, and I'm going to say this on defense too, cut it loose, man. This this could potentially, potentially be the last game. Nobody knows with COVID if there's going to be a bowl game or not. Yes, we're slated to go to a bowl game, but we don't know what the rules and, and the, the ramifications and everything that's going on with our country, if there will potentially not be any bowl games at all. I believe the Rose Bowl already came out and said they're not doing a bowl game. Another bowl game came out and said they're not going to do the bowl game because of COVID. So we really don't know what potentially could happen. So this could potentially be your last game of the 2020 season. 
So go out there, cut it loose, and have fun. Man, this is a rival game. I heard there could be a special showing of Mackenzie Milton there. So play for guys like him. Play for guys like, you know, uh, Otis Anderson, Greg McCray on offense. Play for these guys, Marlon Williams, guys that you know most likely aren't coming back for another year. Jacob Harris, play for these guys, man, and just lay it on the line and have fun because this could potentially be your last game of the 2020 season. Yeah, we'll get to the KZ thing here in in just a second. But now defensively for the Knights, didn't get any turnovers from from a game ago. USF Bulls, they come in here, dudes. They've turned over 15 times on the season, which what does that mean, Scott? Well, that means they're in the bottom, bottom half, more (laughs) than the bottom half. They're kind of in the last eighth of, of college football teams in terms of how many times they have had miscues. And that's also because of the youth that they have had on this football team. They had a, a slew of transfers and, and these are not going to happen here overnight for what has been a very good offensive coordinator at Clemson. When of course you're getting some of the top players in, in all of <laughs> college football to come and play for you. So, so that being said here defensively for the night, against the Bulls. Well, it's kind of like a theme, right? The last three weeks, we've had mobile quarterbacks. You go back to Rio Mitchell, then last week with Desmond Ritter. Well, this week, whether it's Jordan McLeod or Noah Johnson, both of these guys have the ability to escape the pocket and run. So we have to control the quarterback run coming up this week, which should be a no-brainer because we've had to do it the last three weeks. We have to make these guys throw. And I know what Johnson is actually a pretty good, accurate thrower. And Jordan McLeod has shown in parts where he can make some accurate throws. But these guys like to get be out outside the pocket, mobile, running. The RPOs will probably be big, right? We talked about it in the copycat league. Desmond Ritter had a lot of success with that last week. So if you think that Jeff Scott and his offensive staff isn't looking at that film and, and, and saying that we're going to come out here with some RPOs, some bootlegs, get our quarterbacks on the move, I wouldn't be surprised if they played both quarterbacks uh, next week because it is the last game. And they've done that a lot this year already anyway. So they have to be prepared for both co- quarterbacks, and we have to contain the quarterback run. And also, the second key is, is stopping Johnny Ford. He's he's their, their lead running back. But this guy can put, be put, put all over the place. He's a really good return guy for them. They can line him up in the slot, line him up in running back. And he hasn't been ex- as explosive as he was his true freshman year in 2018. But this is a guy that still at any moment of the game could take it, take it all the way the distance. All five foot five of Johnny Ford, who <laughs> exactly. currently has 731 all-purpose yards. That's rushing, receiving, and return yardage. Okay, dudes, let's get to the elephant in the room because Dylan Gabriel <laughs> planting the seed here earlier on this week. We saw the great piece by ESPN, Tom Tom Rinaldi, but another great piece by Andrea Adelson, who writes for, for ESPN about the return and the comeback story of what right now he is the best scout team quarterback in the nation, <laughs> yeah. that being Mackenzie Milton and you know planting that seed which I to me it, it just feels like this is the storyline but it also does I don't think it, it be go uh, should go unknown that Casey doesn't just want to step on the field because you know I've returned to be able to play college football he's not going to step on the field unless he feels like he's a hundred percent to where he can play top level college football again yeah, definitely. And how great would it be, right, to go back to the scene where where the story began, right, where he got his injury and this road to recovery. 
back in Tampa in the same stadium, Raymond James Stadium, where he got that injury for him to go out there and be able to maybe take some snaps or even potentially start a game and go out there and, and lead his team to victory would mean so much. And this guy, like you said, has been playing scout team all year long, so it's not like he's just been rehabbing and on the sideline. He's actually been in all these practices working his way up to this moment. So I think it would be just a great uh, storyline, and you have to you know, really love this kid. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing you can say bad about this kid all the adversity that he's went through and he's never been negative not one time right he never was negative about the db that that actually injured him or anything he was like it's part of the game and this is what happened all he did was put his head down and grind to get to this point so i think it would just be a blessing and great and i know like both fan bases would love it not just us i mean if you're a, a lover of college football you want to see this kid succeed and you want to see this moment happen, especially this is where it happened. This is where it started for him. This journey, this long journey that he's taken the last three years. This is where it happened in 2018. Yeah. Could you imagine just, just the, the collective tears in that entire stadium, maybe not just there, but across the nation, all of college yeah. football. I mean, just thinking about it, you start to feel the, the hair on your back, on, on your neck and it would be quite the story here in this final game of the regular season for the Knights there against USF and the Bulls, the place where the injury initially took place. And when it comes to, to writing movie scripts, I mean, you can't <laughs> be a great that, one. That's the thing here. That's why college sports, NFL sport, you know, professional sports a, a, as a whole. This is the great drama. This is what unfolds before your eyes necessarily know that it could have happened prior to, to the game happening. Yeah, and I, I think ESPN did a great job last week. I'm not sure if you were able to, to watch part of the segment with, you know, Mackenzie Milton, and that literally almost brought tears to my eyes just, you know, hearing that story. So for him to be able to go out there, you know, as a player that played as long as I did and has been injured and has had to come back from a torn peck, I mean, I know what that feels like to field and do what you love to do and it literally brought tears to my eyes when after I tore my peck when a lot of people have already said you're done and all you do is keep your head down and keep working and don't believe the naysayers and you go out there and you still go out there and compete at a high level I mean there's no better feeling than that you know I don't have a kid yet but I would assume that it's close to something like that um, or I mean obviously having a kid would be a lot better but like for me like that was one of the greatest feelings in my life to be able to come back from a major injury and, and still be able to do what I really enjoyed and love. Well, we will see how this true story unfolds coming up on Friday. This, the reality television, I mean, this is, this is it right here. This is the, this is unscripted and could only be so fitting if KZ was able to step out on that football field coming up here on Friday. Well, before we get out of here for this edition of two nights, one podcast, as always do, things out with some do speak something that was said over his collective career from a player coach that kind of rings true and he typically this year been able to to kind of tailor it to the setting of of the mood for for yeah. the knights and the game that they're they're going into yeah definitely and um i can't remember which which coach this was um, um i think it was um it might have been mine um my last his his last year in with the Jets, we go down to Miami and play. Um, and everybody knew he was about to most likely get fired after this. So um, you know, we just come into the locker room. I think it was maybe David Harrison was like, you know, this could all be our last game together. And the NFL, it's it's like that every year, right? Because no same teams are the same. It's kind of like that in college too, right? So you want to kind of like 
incorporate that or, or kind of like match them up together. No same, no team is the same every year. You're going to get in new recruits in college. And then, then, you know, in the NFL, you're going to lose some players to, to free agency. You're going to bring in some rookies. So no two teams is the same, right? But this is the last team time we're all going to be all together. So like play, play for the, the name on the back of the Jersey, right? But also play for the, for your teammates to your left and your right of you. Cause these are some of the guys that literally there's been blood, sweat and tears with these guys and when you're in college for four years and when you're in the NFL for two to three years, these have been your same teammates that you've been to war with. And guys, you'd love to go in a foxhole with this, as Coach O'Leary would say. So so definitely play for the name of the back, like your family name. And also for those guys that, you know, this is going to be their last college games. Guys like Otis Sanderson, guys like potentially Jacob Harris or, or Marlon Williams and, and, and Richie Grant are going to be gone. And Aaron Robinson are going to be gone. And we don't know if Trey Nixon comes back, but this could potentially be – his last game. These are guys that you got to play for, man, because this could a lot of them. This could be their last game, period. Um, you know, a lot of them have aspirations to go to the NFL. But, you know, I've been through that process. And, and, and a lot of times things don't work out how you want them to really work out. So this could potentially be their last game because we don't know if a lot of these guys will even play in a bowl game if there is one. But even if they do decide to play in one, we don't even know if there's going to be a bowl game. So pay for that name on the back of the jersey. And to that guy to the left and right of you, because, I mean, life is short. You never know when, you know, these guys could potentially play again. And, and there's a good chance that they won't be on your team again next year. Yeah. Seizing the moment in the now and, and soak it all in. That'll uh, happen coming up here on Friday. Well, that's going to do it here for this edition of Two Nights in One Podcast. We appreciate you. Liking, subscribing all season long. I'm sure there will be a, a bowl preview show at some point in our, our collective future. Maybe there will be some additional games. We shall see. There's still a lot that can unfold here in this crazy world of COVID-2020. UCF-USF I-4 rivalry 330 from Raymond James Stadium. Dudes, we'll see you on the sidelines. As always, go Knights. Charge on. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.